you have your Bibles today, we're going to open up to the book of Acts chapter 2. And uh, we are, are excited to, to dive into God's Word today. Uh, those of you that are, are new guests with us, thank you so much for being a part of this, having the courage to step into a new space, a new community. Uh, we recognize that can take a, a step of courage, and we're grateful for you. Those of you who have been here for a while, faithful to Anchor, thanks for being a part of this community and uh, a part of what God is doing. Those of you that are tuning in with us online, again, we know there's reasons and seasons to be online, but thank you so much for taking time to join us whenever, wherever you're tuning in. Uh, we actually had a privilege this week. We were out to dinner and had a couple that's uh, in Missoula for the week, uh, for the weekend that lives in Denver, uh, but our faithful online Anchor Church attenders came and said hello. So Delaney and Alex in Denver, uh, we are so grateful for you. And they just got engaged. So congratulations, Delaney and Alex. Grateful for our online community. We are uh, today, we're in week two of a new series that we started on Easter called Ingredients. And we are going to spend about six weeks looking at ingredients that ought to be evident in the life of a follower of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus, your life should incorporate some of these ingredients. Uh, we're going to reiterate every week that this is not a formula or a recipe that you just walk down this checklist and you finish this one and you move on to the next and you don't ever go back to it. This is, this is ingredients, not a formula, not a checklist, not a recipe, but these should be evident in the life of a follower of Jesus. We'll use the analogy of a scramble. Like, there's just throw all the ingredients in, mix them up. Some bites, you're going to get a little more broccoli than other bites. And if you haven't put broccoli in your scramble, you're missing out. Uh, it's the best bite. Uh, but whatever the ingredients you use, it's different in every bite. And sometimes certain ones of these ingredients will show up as more prominent in other seasons of your life. And uh, maybe differently than what's showing up prominent in other followers of Jesus' current season of life. Uh, these are not just one-time ingredients. These are perpetual ingredients of a life following Jesus. Uh, we could take some time and, and comb through Scripture and probably come up with hundreds of ingredients that would be possible to identify as what it should look like to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, we're going to just spend about six weeks on some larger scale uh, ingredients that probably we could break down into hundreds of different ways of what it could look like in your life. Uh, but last week we talked about number one at Easter. Uh, anyone remember ingredient number one? You can talk back to me. Receive. We got a few of you. It's receive. It was seven days ago. Let's be honest. That was a while ago. Uh, uh, it's, it's received. The first ingredient of a follower of Jesus is you must receive the free gift that he offers, a gift that you cannot earn, that you don't work for, you don't continually try to pay back. You just simply have the humility to receive the grace of God that he would give you forgiveness, he would give you life abundant and life eternal, and you can't get it on your own, but you receive the gift that he has extended to you. We're going to jump into uh, ingredient number two today, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 36. What you'll find in the previous verses is uh, what we know as Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes in a powerful way and fills the disciples uh, in the upper room. And then uh, a lot of people crowd around and are curious about what's happening, about the power of God that's evident. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he stands up and he begins to preach the gospel. He tells the story of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. He tells essentially the Easter story to a large crowd of people that 
hear it for the first time. We're jumping in on the very last sentence of his sermon here in verse 36. He says this, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And he finishes his sermon like, Jesus, he's Lord, and he is Messiah. He is your Savior. He is your King. And then verse 37 says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Incredible moment. The gospel's preached. Hearts are pierced. They say, what do we do? And Peter responds like, this is what you do if you want to receive the grace that we've talked about. Um, we're going to bow our heads and pray. And uh, I really am excited about today's message. Um, but my prayer today is that our hearts would be pierced. There's sometimes we come together and it is proper to be in a state of encouragement and delight and to, um, to consider some of the amazing it's all the generous aspects of Jesus, but sometimes we need to let the scriptures pierce our hearts. And as the Easter message was preached, there, it moved internally. It wasn't information. It was a piercing of hearts. My prayer today is that our hearts would be pierced. We wouldn't just get intellectual knowledge today. That We wouldn't just uh, be emotionally moved, but our hearts would be pierced because it led them to a new trajectory in life. That's our prayer today. Um, I know it's taken a little more serious tone in today, and we're still going to have a lot of delight and joy in the Word of God. Uh, but the prayer is not just that we enjoyed the message, but that our hearts were pierced. Would you uh, do me a favor? Would you bow your heads? Uh, and would you just maybe put a hand on your heart as we pray um, that our hearts would be open and receptive to what God's going to speak today. Father, humbled by your Word and the privilege that it is to, to read it, but not just read it, but to let it transform us. God, thank you that your word is alive and it's active, and we don't gather together just to learn more of uh, what the scriptures say, but to let the scriptures impact our lives. Lord, I pray that today hearts are pierced, that what your word and your presence does today um, causes movement, that um, we don't just leave here enjoying gathering together, but it's uh, your word and your presence is going to impact how we function tomorrow. Lord, I pray for open hearts, receptive hearts. God, that your word would speak to you and challenge and stretch us. And God, I think that we can trust that you love us. God, we just ask that today would be uh, a day that results in movement. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, there are moments in our lives where we receive information or we have an experience uh, that demands a response. That like these moments, it, it kind of changes the way life is going for the rest of our days. I, I remember one morning, uh, Danny and I had been married less than a year. Uh, we were young, 20 and 21, newlyweds, and uh, I was sleeping. And I have my wife run into the room screaming, waking me up, waving a stick in my face, letting me know that we were pregnant. Uh, that information uh, is, is not subtle information. That information demanded a response. My first response was, go take another test. Like, I, this is the first thing. Like, it, but, but this information now, like, no, no, no. 
life will never be the same because this moment where information was received. Uh, we probably experienced this in, in so many different ways. Sometimes it's in exciting ways. Sometimes it's in, in, in tragic ways. Some, uh, someone gets a diagnosis and it changes trajectory. Uh, a job uh, gets, gets lost. Or there, there's certain moments in life where we come upon a certain moment of information or a certain experience and it shifts the trajectory of the rest of our lives. This happens often and we see this take place for a large audience here in Acts chapter two. Going about their lives, something happens, catches their attention and they receive this information from Peter and, and they they have a response. This is such a moving moment where it's not just a simple information, but it moves them. Their hearts are pierced, and they respond with this, what, what are we going to do about this? If you look back at Acts chapter 2, again, verse 36, he finishes his message that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, and 37, Peter's words pierce their hearts, and they ask him and the other leaders in the church, the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Meaning this is more than a lecture. The gospel moved them. The gospel challenged them. And they said, I'm interested, but not only am I interested, what do I do about this? Um, I would like to say this is likely where many of us in this community sit right now. Some people in the early stages of it. Some of you came, and, and we've had people uh, in the last couple of weeks or even last week at Easter decide to say yes to receiving the gift of Jesus. Like, I am interested. Uh, uh, this, this is something that is moving me. But it's also the question of like, and what do I do about it? Like, I'm moved, I'm challenged, I want this, I'm drawn to this, but what does it actually look like? There's some of you who have been uh, following Jesus for a while, but as, there's something stirring inside of you. And I love hearing the stories of, like, a, a new level of faith, a new level of passion, a new level of excitement stirring inside of you, that the gospel of Jesus and the presence of God is moving you, it's piercing you, and there is this question of, like, okay, now what do we do? Like, I'm in. I want to be a part of this. I'm, I'm, I'm believing. But what does it actually look like for me? Now, how do I respond to this? And as we look at Peter's response, he's not giving them a checklist. He's not giving them a formula. Although we could look at this statement and say, well, it says to do this, this, and this. I want to tell you what he is saying is like, this, this, is, this is how you ought to respond to your heart being pierced by being moved by the gospel, not as a checklist, but this is what it's going to look like. Look like in your life. In his reply, verse 38, he says, each of you, I want to pause there for just a second. He makes this individual. He's speaking to large groups of people. There are families present. There are marriages present. And he makes it very clear. This, this is individual. And I want to tell you, as we jump into this content today, and as we pray for hearts to be pierced, I'm not saying it's out of bounds or inappropriate to pray that someone else would get their heart pierced or to recognize how this could apply to someone that you live with or are married to. But I want to make this very clear that as we go into this, this first starts individually. Could you see how this applies to the other person in the relationship? Absolutely. But this is you. How can we first say, God, what does it look like for me? What in my heart needs to be pierced? What inside of me needs to be motivated and moved to something different than it currently exists? He says, each of you, don't point at everyone else, point to yourself first. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, repent and turn to God and be baptized. I want to tell you our second ingredient in the series today is, is repent. We talked about receiving, and now we're going to talk about repent. 
And uh, in these next couple of minutes, before we jump into some more teaching on this, I, I want to take a moment to um, normalize repentance. I don't know what your history with the word repentance is or when you associate repentance with the church or preachers. Um, I want to not just normalize it, but maybe like de-angrify it. That's not a word, but we're going we're gonna to run with it. Like, it seems like an angry preacher on the corner, turn or burn, uh, like type of mentality. I want to tell you, there is no pulpit at this church to pound the fist on. I would break this thing if I tried to. This is, this is often a, maybe an exaggerated term, but what we feel with the term repentance. Um, I, I want to, without diminishing the importance of it, I want to just talk about what repentance is, regardless of uh, how angry we might tie repentance in, in, in together. Uh, repentance, it's, it's simple definition, is to, to turn. It's to, it's to turn around, to go a different direction. And in this context, it's to turn away from sin and towards God. Like, that's what repentance is. He says it right there, like, repent of your sins and turn to God. This is not two different steps. This is simultaneously. Repent means you're turning away from the sin, and you're not just turning away from it to nothing. You're turning away from it and towards God. Uh, it actually goes on in, in the original Greek to, to mean um, to think differently about afterwards. Essentially meaning, life is going one direction. There is a purpose, there is a destination, there's something you're working towards, trying to achieve, and then there is a moment that, that you come across like, this is no longer the right way to go, or the proper way to go, or where I desire to go, and a turn begins to take place. And as this turn takes place, it's not just direction, it's the way that you're thinking. It's your desires, it's your dreams, it's your purpose, it's the destination. Like, not only is your direction changing, but the way that you view the future is no longer the same. So to repent is saying, I'm going one way, and then whatever the crisis moment is, it turns you from going that way to, I'm not just moving this way, but wishing I was still going that way. You begin to think entirely different. If we continue on defining this, even in today's language, uh, repentance means to feel such sorrow for sin as to be disposed to change one's life for the better. Repentance is to feel such a, a remorse or a sorrow for sinful behavior that you don't just have that feeling. You just don't, it's not just guilt. It's not just regret. It's actually the movement of no longer going that direction, making a change for the better. If it doesn't include a change, it is not repentance. It may be a feeling, it may be remorse, it may be regret, but if it is not a turning from and a turning towards, we have not crossed the line of repentance. It's making a change for the better. I want to tell you again, to de-angrify this, we are always, as humanity, making changes for the better. We are always repenting. It comes across in crazy ways. Uh, I, I've done some distance running, and uh, I remember the very first time that I ever ran more than 20 miles at one time. And uh, I had some serious learning to do, because as I'm over, I, don't, I was over 20 miles, I'm getting close to the end of my run, um, my, my, my vision kind of started getting tunnel. And uh, this was getting kind of weird, but mentally, I'm like, I'm good, I'm fine, like I'm not passing out, I just am seeing weird, and then I notice my fingers are beginning to like curl up, and I'm still running like, this is odd, I hope not a lot of people are looking. Before I know it, I'm hunched over, my arms are curled up, and I'm like, I, this is really awkward, my mentally, I feel okay, but I, I, this is really weird. 
I finally get home, I open the door, I sit down on the floor, and uh, my whole body just curls up into a ball, and uh, Danny's like, what is going on? I was like, I don't know, I'm actually fine. Like, I, I'm, I'm together, I don't think I'm passing out. My body's freaking out right now. I go and do some studying and learn, like, my body decided uh, we've got nothing left to give, so let's abandon the limbs and keep the heart going. Uh, that's what uh, happened. So guess what? Next time I ran more than 20 miles, I did something a little different. I hydrated differently. I, I, I fueled my body differently. Like, I'm not going to do that again. I made changes for the better. Like I recognize this ain't, this ain't the way it's supposed to be. We make changes for the better. You do this all the time. Those of you that enjoy cooking, you make a, you, you, you make a dish, and as you're eating it, you're like, this is good, but uh, it needs a little more salt, or it's a little too spicy for me. And guess what you do next time? You make adjustments so that it's better. That is repentance. Those of you with children, you travel with them. That first time you get on a plane and you forgot a backpack full of snacks, every goldfish, every fruit snack possible, you will never do it the same again. You learn and you make changes for the better. You learn whether you play sports or video games. You're always strategizing how to better uh, uh, get to, uh, to accomplish the challenge or defeat the opponent. You make adjustments the next time. When you're in communication with a loved one, with a spouse, they there are times where you've learned, well, bringing that up that way isn't a good idea. Uh, and so you make a change for the better. You don't do it the same way you did before. I want to tell you, this is repentance. You recognize that this is not the best, and I will make the necessary changes, not for the worse, but for the better. We do this all the time. I want to tell you, repentance is incredibly serious, and it's incredibly significant, but it's not as scary as oftentimes we approach the word repentance. You repent every day. Maybe it's not spiritually, and maybe it's not due to your sin, but we are people of constantly evaluating and making changes for the better. It's not scary, and it's not a one-time act. We are perpetually repenting. When it comes spiritually, I want to tell you that God is about making your life better. That God calling us to repentance, to change, to adjustments, he is not, it's not because he wants your life dull and boring and restricted and he enjoys seeing you struggle. No, he is a coach that is pulling out the best in you. No, this adjustment is going to be for your health. It's going to be for your benefit. He knows the ways that sin is hurting. Maybe you're enjoying the moment, but how it's impacting your future, how it's impacting future relationships, how it's hindering your faith and your relationship with God, how it's affecting the purpose that he has for you. He sees these and he loves you enough to start calling out the adjustments not to make your life more boring and miserable, but to make your life more rewarding and full. I do want to take a moment as well to distinguish the difference between confession and repentance. Oftentimes these are intertwined as well. Confession, super important, super valuable. We'll talk more about it today. But confession is admitting and acknowledging, but it does not require making a change. Confession is really good. It's a huge component of what it means to make changes. Uh, but confession alone, acknowledging alone, is not taking the steps to, to not continue down that path. Repentance is taking the steps to change. I want to tell you, um, asking for forgiveness, super important, super valuable. Not repentance. 
asking for forgiveness is incredibly valuable, but uh, it is possible to seek forgiveness, receive forgiveness, and continue down that same lifestyle and ask forgiveness, receive forgiveness, and do it again. I want to tell you that we serve a God who is quick to forgive. He is always, when you, you, you commit that sin again or you're sinning in a different way and you ask for his forgiveness, he is so quick to forgive. And forgiveness is available constantly and instantly. His grace never ends. But there is a, a call beyond forgiveness to repentance, to making a change, to no longer staying the same way. He does go on to say, uh, repent and be baptized. I, I gotta keep this really brief. I'm gonna spend um, an entire Sunday shortly on baptism. So I'm gonna give you the just very tiny version right now. We'll expand on it later. But baptism, it is, a, it is an outward symbol of an inward commitment. It's you've made this decision to turn from sin and to God. You've decided to receive the gift of grace and it's impacting the way that you live and uh, it's an external symbol of that commitment that you're making on the inside. That is saying, I'm turning away from who I was. I'm gonna let that person be buried and raised to life a new me who is a follower of Jesus. Um, it's a definitive statement for yourself, for others, that uh, I'm turning. Uh, I, I, my favorite illustration, which I certainly will use again when we talk about this in future weeks, uh, I view baptism as like the wedding ring of your relationship with Jesus. This wedding ring, um, this is a, a statement to anyone who sees it, that like, I'm not dating around, I'm not playing the field, I'm not on the market. Like, I've had the moment where I've decided for the rest of my days I'm going to be faithfully committed to my wife. Like, this is the direction. Does this make me a perfect husband? No. But it does make a statement, a reminder to myself and anyone else. Like, I have made that decision that I am going to be faithful in one direction for the rest of my days. And baptism is so much that moment of, like, I'm not considering, I'm not wondering, I'm not just a gathering information. Like, I'm putting a line in the sand. Like, this is my decision moment that I'm not living for my my own flesh anymore, but I'm going to start living for Jesus, that I'm committed, I'm faithful. Does this make me perfect? Not at all, but it is clarity that I've made this decision that I'm following Jesus. Uh, we are going to have baptisms coming up, and we'll teach on it more. If you're already interested, if it's something you want to do, uh, on the QR code, uh, there is a, I have decided is one of your options. And if you click on that, there's an option for to say, I've decided to follow Jesus or I've decided to get baptized. You can click one or both of those. And uh, we'd love to follow up with you and start preparing for what it would look like for you to take that step. And we'll teach on it more significantly soon. But back to repentance. It says, uh, it, let's jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Repent, turn to God and be baptized. Then it, let's look at 2 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 8. The author is Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing a, one of multiple letters to the church in Corinth, to followers of Jesus, and uh, he's referencing previ a previous letter here that he has written to them. He says this in verse 8, I'm not sorry that I sent you that severe letter, sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for you for a little while. Now I'm glad that I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. A lot we could talk about here. I just want to pull out a couple thoughts. I think those two statements about sorrow that God wants us to have or a sorrow that God wants his followers to experience is a really striking statement 
that we need to consider. That a loving God, who is the source of love and joy and peace and on and on, that there is a type of sorrow he wants us to experience and still loving and still joyful and still generous and still gracious because this kind of sorrow, it says, uh, it, it leads us to turn away from sin and it leads us to salvation. But there's another kind of sorrow and the difference between these two sorrows, it says this sorrow lacks repentance. And if your sorrow includes repentance, it leads to life and salvation. If your sorrow doesn't include repentance, it leads to spiritual death. It is possible to have sorrow over sin, yet nothing changes. We stay the same, and there is no liberty, there is no freedom, there is no hope in that type of sorrow. That if we have sorrow, and we feel like, well, I'm, I'm glad I feel bad about it. I feel, I'm sorry that I, I sinned. I'm bummed out about this. But it does not lead to change. This is a problem. But there is a kind of sorrow that is godly sorrow that leads to repentance, salvation, and no regret. I love that he makes a statement that when you repent, you are not going to be bummed out on what you missed out on if you would have continued your life of sin. You don't regret it. No one has ever repented, made these changes for the better, looked back and wished they wouldn't have done that. It leads us to no regret. Now, there is probably uh, a ton of different ways we could look at this. I want to speak specifically to a moment to those of you who are unmarried, yet are not honoring God in the way you handle your bodies and your emotions. I want to tell you that um, living in that life of sin can be fulfilling to current moments. But in the days ahead of you, you will not, if God blesses you with a marriage, you're not going to look back and be like, ah, wish I'd uh, done a little more before this marriage. Wish I would have had a few more partners before this. Like, you will not look back with regret that you began to honor God. That what you feel like you miss out on because of the temporary fulfillment you get, or what the community that you spend time with, the activity that they're engaging with, and you feel like you're missing out on it. I want to tell you, it may feel like a temporarily missing out, but in the days ahead, God knows you, and he loves you. He's got a plan for your future. He's got a plan for your future relationships. And he's like, I want you to get there with no regret. To get there, it starts with repentance today. And the word of God is so faithful and true. And there's probably other aspects of sin that we could talk about right now that I want to tell you. You feel good today, but tomorrow it's regret. And the love of God says, I want to take that away from you as well. I want you to, to not have the regrets in your future. There is a worldly sorrow that is spiritual death. It is regret. It's shame and it's bondage. A worldly sorrow that distances you from God and his best for you. That sorrow exists, but there's also a godly sorrow that can feel so similar. The only additional ingredient to that sorrow is repentance, and it draws you towards God, and it draws you towards the future he has for you. The enemy would prefer that you stay captive by your shame. I'll tell you, uh, there's a difference between guilt and shame. I love Brene Brown's research on this, uh, but guilt is recognizing I did something bad. Shame is identifying that I am something bad. And the enemy wants you to sit in shame. 
that you would be identified by your sin. I am that perversion. I am that addiction. That is who I am. I can't escape it. Like, it, it, it's in me. I want to tell you that um, there's a difference. And, and the enemy wants you to sit in that shame. But I want to tell you that when you receive the gift of Jesus, when you have ingredient one in your life, you are no longer identified by your sin. You are the righteousness of Jesus, that you can do something bad and seek his forgiveness again. But you are the righteousness of Jesus. You are not your sin. You are forgiven and you are repenting. You didn't just repent once. You are repenting. God, I, I'm learning to not be this anymore. I'm turning away from that sin, and I'm turning towards you. That, that God, I am forgiven. That is not who I am. I just haven't made the full turn towards you yet. I'm not in your likeness like I desire to be yet. You are not captivated. When you fall back into that sin, the enemy wants to say, see, it is still who you are. No, 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 that is not who I am. I'm the righteousness of Jesus. I've sought his forgiveness. He has forgiven me. There is no penalty for this anymore, and I am still in process of learning to be like him. I'm going to tell you, receiving is the first act of repentance, and repentance continues until we're made perfect in his presence. Too often we look at that salvation moment as that was my repentance moment. No, no, no. It's, it, we are constantly growing in his likeness, in his image. We are all perpetually in a, a, a movement of repentance, becoming more like him that will not be completed until we're in his presence. I, I consider this scripture... And the sorrow that God would like us to experience, not because he wants us to be sorrowful, but because he wants the repentance. He wants the salvation. He wants no regret. Meaning that when we are spending time in the word, when we come together in moments like this and we're taught the word of God in a public setting where we're in the gathering of the church, there actually should be times where we feel called out. We feel heavy, distressed, sorrowful, stretched, convicted, even offended, like these are supposed to happen so that it would lead us to a place of making changes for the better. We, we, we prefer to stay away from those moments, but if we're a community that has a faith in a God that he wants what's best for his people, and that there's a type of sorrow that could lead to tomorrow being better and more fulfilling uh, our pursuit to be more in his character and our pursuit to be like him in our world, to be his body, to be his hands and feet, then we ought to actually look for opportunities and expect that there are going to be times where I'm going to be convicted, stretched, uncomfortable, and even sorrowful so that I will grow into who God has called me to be. I would ask you, when is the last time you were called out and grieved by your sin. Not by someone else's sin affecting you, but your sin. When was the last time you grieved over it? We're sorrowful, recognizing our own sin. I want to say um, in this community, uh, I'm really proud of the pursuit to become more like Jesus, follow Jesus. I would say there's probably a large portion of people here today that um, are repentant, that don't want to keep sinning, but have yet to find victory over that sin. I think it's a place we find ourselves often. They're like, I am turning away from it. I don't want to be that. I want to honor the Lord, but I still have not found victory over this sin. If we're honest, I think that's where a lot of us are with a lot of our sins. I want to take a moment and express the grace of God on the time it can take to make the change. Let me say it this way. Forgiveness from does not mean victory over. 
I think a lot of times it's, we feel the synonymous. Like if, if I don't have victory, I've not been forgiven, I haven't defeated, I want to tell you forgiveness from does not mean victory over. And I don't want this to be at all an excuse for sin or continuing sinful behavior, but victory and deliverance is usually not a flip of the switch. Can God take that desire, that temptation away from you instantaneously? He can, and he does. And I have no problem asking that he will for sins in your life and mine. It's possible for it to be instantaneous. But I think the beauty of repentance is the consistent process of turning away from and turning towards God. I think the beauty of repentance is the faithfulness to the fight. Repentance, again, it's not a one-time thing. It is saying, this is a desire that is in my flesh, and I'm going to start saying no to that, and I'm going to start turning to a way of honoring God. And it doesn't mean that I don't desire that, that I don't find this attractive, or that that my flesh doesn't want to go there, but it is saying daily, no, I'm going to continue to fight, to turn away, and to turn towards God. And there's so much beauty in a relationship where there is a desire to honor and love and to care for that motivates you to say, even though there are desires outside of what's healthiest for us, I'm going to resist those every day. I'm signing up to faithfulness to the fight. I want to tell you that repentance, it is not this one-time moment. I want to say it this way. Repentance is signing up to be faithful to a fight for the rest of your days. And you may never feel victory over that desire of your flesh, that lust that's in your heart. You may never feel victory over it, but you every day, you wake up and say, I'm going to be repentant. I'm going to do what I can to be faithful to the fight, and I'm not going to turn towards it. I'm going to turn towards my Jesus, and I'm going to have forgiveness when I fall. I'm going to run to him, and I'm going to confess, and I'm going I'm to ask for his forgiveness, and I will be forgiven and set free, and I will stand up again and continue the fight of faithfulness to turn away from and turn towards Forgiveness from does not mean victory over. In fact, I think instant deliverance is almost anti-repentance because there is no turning. If repentance is the process of turning and there is no process of turning, it is a miracle of God that, again, I will pray for and I can believe that he can do. But it is the beauty of daily choosing to be faithful to the fight that is the definition of repentance. Let me uh, illustrate maybe this grace uh, another way and Let's just say physically. We'll take spiritual aside for just a moment. We'll bring it back in in a second. But when there is movement, pace and momentum impacts the time and distance it takes to make a turn. Uh, Let's look at it this way. If you are walking, you're walking in one direction, and you come to this recognition that uh, you want to make a turn, you want to change, it takes a small amount of time for that pace and that momentum to come to a stop, It takes a small amount of time to make the turn, and it takes a small amount of time to get back to the same pace in another direction. But if you're on a bike, this time and distance now increases. The same moment happens where, oh, wrong direction, I'd like to make a turn. The distance and the time it takes to come to a stop, and the time and the distance it takes to make the turn, and then the time and the distance to gain momentum in a new direction now is longer than it was walking. We can continue on. If you're in a vehicle, if you're driving a car, now it increases even more. If, uh, if you are flying a plane, or let's go to maybe an extreme example, you're on a ship out in the ocean. The time that it takes to begin slowing down 
making a turn and going in a new direction, it is amplified, not based on, this isn't about the size of sin, but based on the time and the momentum. It can change the, the time and the distance it takes to not just stop and to not just turn, but to gain momentum in a new direction. It can have an impact. I would tell you that um, as there is a process of slowing down, turning, and gaining speed in a new direction, there is a time and a process of turning from sin and going in a direction of faithfulness. Again, because God doesn't always or often work repentance instantaneously, but over time, there needs to be an understanding of the grace of the fight to turn sometimes takes more time depending on what the challenge of sin that you're facing. I think sometimes there's a sin that's like riding a bike. And you know what? If you put some effort in saying, I'm going to turn away from this, it's not going to take nearly as much time as some of the sins that you have been perpetuating for decades and addictions that have been developed and things that you grow up with in your house that is just normal and natural. I want to tell you, not comparing sizes of sin, but sometimes there are sins that have such speed and momentum in your life that it takes a little bit more time than others. And it doesn't mean that the repentance isn't real. It means that the fight you're signing up for might last a little longer and that you're still signing up for it, that I'm gonna still make the turn. If we take the extreme example of the ship turning, there's this um, season of time between, it's no longer going in the direction it was going, but it's also not going in the direction that it wants to go. And this can be a really difficult time for us spiritually. Where I've made some shifts, like I'm not going the way that I was, and, and the slip-ups and the failures are happening less often, but I don't feel myself walking in the direction of faithfulness that I desire. I feel like I'm called to. And sometimes we can feel just dead in the water. Like I, I tried, like things are better than they were, but it just feels like I'm not moving the way that I feel like I want to be. I'm not living the way, or I'm not having the, the, the impact or the difference, or whatever it is that we feel like we want to go, and we feel stuck. I want to challenge you and plead with you, don't quit in the turn. Don't quit in the turn. You signed up for a fight, and there will be no regret. But don't quit when it seems like, well, because it's in those moments it's just easier to go back to the way that it was. Well, this is what I do know. It's less of a fight. It's more convenient. This is what other people are doing. It's so easy to turn back. Don't quit because you're not yet to the faithfulness that you desire. I want to tell you, if you've prayed and you are seeking repentance, you're desiring change, and there hasn't been instantaneous change, keep praying. Be faithful to the fight. Repentance is a constant ingredient. It's not just something we do on occasion. We'll just say, like, it's the cheese in the scramble. It's everywhere. Like, we are constantly repenting. We are daily saying, no, we don't get a seasons off of the fight. It's every day saying, I'm not going to go that direction anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus. Spencer, I'm going to invite you to join me. As we uh, wrap up, I want to tell you, the names of sins might be different, but we are all on the same level. We are all in a fight of repentance. Some of us maybe have been in the fight a little bit longer, and it's not worth comparing where we're at to where you're at. We're all in a fight of turning away from sin and turning towards Jesus. We all need to be making changes for the better. But I wonder, what if today we had the courage to ask God to call us out on our sin, to make us uncomfortable, what if today we said, God, there's a sorrow you want me to experience, and the sorrow is recognizing my own sin? And God, I invite that. 
We've talked a, a lot about the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he brings, and I love that he's a gift bringer. But if we were to do more extensive teaching on the Holy Spirit, which we're going to do again at some point, we did in the early stages of our church. But I love that he doesn't just bring gifts. It says in John 16 that what he does is he convicts us of sin. Like he is the voice of God inside of us saying, no, this, this is a change that you need. What if we, instead of try pushing that aside, we said, would you, God, would you make that louder today? I know it kind of hurts. It's not very fun to come face to face. But God, you are calling changes for the better, and I want to hear the Spirit. What if today we were sorrowful to the point of making a change for the better? Not just a feeling of guilt, not just a feeling of regret, not just confession, not just asking for forgiveness, but what if we were sorrowful to the point of making a change for the better? I've been praying that God would pierce hearts and pierce our hearts specifically to areas that it's time today to say, we're turning the ship around. What if today was the day for some of you that you can look back on it? It was the day that you just finally came to the end of your own efforts. You put a foot in the ground and said, this, this is the day that I'm going to start making the turn away from my addiction to pornography. What if it was today? What if today was the day where you decided to come clean and break off that affair, emotional or physical, that you're having that you're justifying because of what you're not getting at home? What if today was the day where your soul, your heart was pierced? Said it's actually leading me to do something different. What if today was the day that you actually took steps towards finding the rehab facility that you need to find some victory over the sin that you can't get over on your own? What if we actually did something because our hearts were pierced? What do we do? You turn away from it and you turn towards God. What if we actually were pierced to the point where we did something different? What if today was the day where your greed began to turn into generosity and you started learning what it means to be more in his character? What if today was the day where the way that you have unethically managed your own business begins to change? Because your heart was pierced. I think we could go on and on a list of sins, but I believe the Holy Spirit is here and he is challenging and he is speaking and he's convicting. Some of you today need to make the hard decision to break off an unhealthy relationship, an ungodly relationship, and it's not easy but you're signing up for the fight. What does it look like today? Say, Holy Spirit, how are you working in me? I think maybe the, the question of like, well, well, how? How do I turn from? How do I turn towards? We gotta keep this really brief. But again, some sins are not as simple as, as stopping. Just stop doing it. But base level, repentance is you're signing up for the fight. Sign up today. I'm going to fight this every day. But I would say some things, um, some things take more controls to turn. It takes more controls to turn a ship than it takes to turn a bike. There are some areas of sin that need a little more tools available to you than others. It's a little easier to uh, turn off a TV show that's unhealthy than it is to overcome an addiction to pornography. Some sins need more tools than others. 
But I want to tell you that there are some tools of turning away from, but turning from must be combined with turning towards, or it's not repentance. It's self-discipline. It's trying to be better on your own. It is a turning from and a turning towards. Some things in turning from, some are practical. If it's a struggle for you, stop going to the bar on Friday. Just don't go. Like, you, can, you can make some decisions to do it differently. Stop watching that TV show. Ask someone who saw it to tell you how it ends. Don't watch it. It's bad. It's hurting your soul. Beyond some practicals, it's confession. Look at James 5.16. If we confess our sins to God, it says he forgives us. But look at this. It says confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It is incredibly vulnerable and difficult to confess your sins to others. But some of your healing is found in bringing what is in the darkness into light. In a healthy community that loves you and isn't going to judge you, is going to pray for you. What we are to be is like, here is, here's what's been in the dark. We bring it to the light. And the response is, I can't fix that either. Let's pray together. And let's sign up for this fight. Confession is huge. Finding community going to counseling, seeking therapy, going to rehab, getting accountability. There are tangible tools that you can use. If you go to our QR code, the very bottom, we've got a tab that says resources. You can find some resources there as well for some of this. But not just turning from, but turning towards. What does turning towards look like? Again, first and foremost, it's being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's every day saying, Holy Spirit, I want that voice to be louder in me. I want to hear you show me. Sometimes I don't know what is wrong in my life until you speak it to me, reveal it to me. It's opening up your Bibles consistently. It's times of prayer, worship, being in a church community, going into groups, like pursuing the, the, the avenues and the environments that are going to help you draw closer to the Lord. I want to tell you, um, it's not reading your Bible or going to church that is the act of repentance. But I would say if there are not tangible, active ways that you're turning towards God, you're not repenting. Like, it has to include a turning towards. Yes, I'm going to turn away. I'm going to try to turn away from that sin, and I'm going to open up my Bible. I'm going to spend time on a prayer walk. I'm going to get to group, even though it's difficult. Like, I'm going to find ways to turn towards. This is how we're going to finish today. We gave you an opportunity to get communion at the beginning. We're going to take these next few minutes, and it's going to be you and Jesus. I'm, we're not going to have a big band playing a song to close us out. Spencer's going to just lead us in some, some music so that we can have a moment. You and Jesus. This is a moment. Communion is a tangible way of repentance, a tangible way of saying, Jesus, your blood has covered this. Your body can bring me healing. And I am absolutely for you praying, God, take this desire away from me. But you also got to know, this is a prayer of, if you don't, repentance means I'm signing up for a fight. I'm doing something different. Some of you today, in these next minutes, the Holy Spirit's going to speak something really challenging for you to do. A phone call you need to make, a conversation you need to have, an adjustment, a moving out of your current living situations, confessing to your spouse something that you've been hiding that is going to be really difficult to walk through with them in the days ahead. But he's going to speak to you. 
what it means to actually turn, not just feel bad about, but to turn. We're gonna ask you, would you take communion, you and Jesus? And uh, we're gonna dismiss in a few minutes. I wanna tell you as well, we have a prayer team over here. I'm not telling you you have to confess your sins today to be forgiven. You're forgiven when you come to Jesus, but there is power in bringing it to the light with someone who will respond by praying for you. We're gonna have a prayer team. If today you feel like what you need to do as well is, is confess, I want to tell you they're not going to judge. They're not going to give you another lecture and teaching. They're going to say, let me just pray with you about this. God, we're signing up for a fight. Holy Spirit, empower them for the fight that's ahead of them. Father, we just pray right now in these next just few minutes we have together. Holy Spirit, you speak. You give direction. You challenge. You convict. You make it clear the difficult things that we need to say or do or change to actually sign up for repentance. God, thank you that your forgiveness is so consistent, so evident, but you're calling us to use that forgiveness not as a license to sin, but as a compulsion to change, to repent, to be who you've called us to be. We just ask that this would be a moment where hearts are pierced and we repent, Lord Jesus.